welcome back so I'm gonna start reviewing this book and people can tell me what they think so the book is 14 chapters I kind of want to do at least one chapter and this first chapter is page 3 to 23 the name of the book is Rabbi Jesus it's called um, Rabbi Jesus, an intimate biography, the Jewish life and teachings that inspired Christianity. And it's by Bruce Chilton. So bear with me. I'm tired, but I'm going to record this anyways. Um, so let's see. So a lot of people, when they first buy a book, they're going to look at the back of the book. Um, I'm not so interested in the reviews. But I feel like I can safely read this without any kind of copyright issue because, well, anyone else could read the back of the book, too. So let's see. When I got this, it was $14.95. Ooh, I don't remember exactly, but I want to say I got this at... Borders Books, Borders Bookstore, um, before they closed, and, um, so let's see, it says, beginning with the Gospels, interpretations of the life of Jesus have flourished for nearly two millennia, yet a clear and coherent picture of Jesus as a man has remained elusive. In Rabbi Jesus, the noted biblical scholar Bruce Chilton places Jesus within the context of his times to present a fresh, historically accurate, and revolutionary examination of the man who f- who founded Christianity. Okay. Um, drawing on recent archaeological findings and new translations and interpretations of ancient texts, Chilton discusses in enlightening detail the philosophical and psychological foundations of Jesus' ideas and beliefs. His in-depth investigation also provides evidence that contradicts long-held beliefs about Jesus and the movement he led. Chilton shows, for example, that the high priest Caiaphas, as well as Pontius Pilate, played a central role in Jesus' execution. It is, however, Chilton's description of Jesus' role as a rabbi or master of Jewish oral traditions, as a teacher of the Kabbalah, and as a practitioner of a Galilean form of Judaism that emphasized direct communication with God that casts an entirely new light on the origins of Christianity, seamlessly merging history and biography this penetrating, highly readable book uncovers truths about, uh, sorry, truths lost to the passage of time and reveals a new Jesus to the new millennium. So, or for the new millennium. But, yeah. So, uh, so, 
And at that time, it was a new millennium because this was copyrighted in 2000. So it's like a 20-year-old book. Um, I got it when I was way younger. And I read a lot of it, but I haven't reread a lot of it. So um, we'll just take it page by page and see if there's anything in there. I don't have any notes on this or anything, guys. So uh yeah <laughs> i'm not caffeinated nothing i'm just doing this before bedtime on a sunday um so page three and i'm skipping all this stuff at the very very uh, i'm skipping the timeline i'm skipping the forward um it gives a cool timeline actually um from the year starting from the year 1800 BC or BCE whatever you call it um so that was a long time ago so 1800 plus 2020 how much is that um <laughs> so let's see and then yeah they have Jesus being born near um the second year of the common era between two and 16 of the common era or uh i guess ad is that what it's called i don't even remember guys i'm like man my brain <laughs> um but yeah so i'm not gonna read the whole thing but um so basically it starts this book starts at chapter one and the title is A Momser from Nazareth. And so um, that's I like that title of the chapter because, you know, if you're an American person, you're already going to want to see, like, what's what does Momser mean? Um, and then, you know, you already know about the Nazareth part. I'm assuming if you if you've read about Jesus, about anything, I mean, Nazareth is kind of like the main place um but it says that you know jesus life in judaism opened with his they write it here as buried um in hebrew i think it's pronounced brit b-r-i-t or bris b-r-i-s if i guess i think lubavitch or i think lubavitch people pronounce their t's as like an s and so, or maybe it's like Chabad, I don't know who it is, but there's an ultra-Orthodox uh, group that pronounces the T's as S's, um, and here they have it written in English letters, B-E-R-I-T-H, instead of B-R-I-T or B-R-I-S, um, and it's really weird, because, uh, yeah, Hebrew, usually, like, most of the symbols are, are consonants, and so it's always weird trying to read like an English written version of a Hebrew word because it, it throws things off because it's like um, even when you read like Jewish writ stuff written by a Jewish person they usually have common spellings in English for things and I've never seen it spelled this way before which is kind of interesting um it, it's not like a criticism and I'm not doing this to criticize this book or any of the ideas I just think it's a cool book um so basically what that is, the word bris or breath or bareth or whatever they call it is, is the circumcision. And so 
for people who might not know, um, the reference for where to find circumcision information, according to this Rabbi Jesus book, is Genesis 7, uh, verses 9 through 14 is the first place you see it. You see it other places too, but I mean, they don't really need to list like every single little thing. Um, and they have footnotes here too, which is really cool. Um, so basically, um, it was saying that, that circumcision was, was mandatory, you know, to be considered Jewish, um, male, um, let's see, and it says when he was eight, eight days old, did I say year earlier? Did I say eight years if I said eight years, I meant eight days, um, eight days old, um, and then, basically, let's see, it was saying that, yeah, circumcision was basically just, like, a part of what was expected to happen, and it gives a footnote about circumcision, saying circumcision was usually called cutting off, uh, they have a term mullah in the Hebrew. I don't know how it's written because this again is English lettering M-U-L-A-H from Exodus 4.26. And it says, and later um, in quotes, they put covenant of cutting off. Um, it says a link to the covenant in in bris basically with Abraham in Genesis lies at the foundation of the right um so the designation uh basically what they say for circumcision best conveys its meaning um and so and they say that the the pronunciation of Barris is from the Eastern, is from Eastern Europe. And then they still, they still write it B-E-R-I-S, Barris instead of Briss. Um, cause there's not really a, a vowel after it. It's spelled basically B-R-T-H. It's spelled basically B-R-T-H. So, um, The vowel comes after the R, B R I T H or B R I T. So, yeah. And so, yeah. So basically, the this first part starts talking about, um that, you know, Jesus was practically initiated eight days into his birth or into his life being born. Um, uh, and then it starts talking about the controversy about um, whether God or Joseph or some other man has impregnated Mary. Um, and... For that, I mean, it's interesting because um, it basically says that Mary was, was contracted, like in a contract to marry Joseph um, before 
they were together and um and before she was found as being pregnant um I mean I can't I can't even really imagine cuz I know like I've talked in another clip about um you know a situation where there was a lady who wasn't even like no one even did anything to her and she was a married woman and people lied and they were trying to stone her um and then there were other stories where it basically has people um like even if you think about today's times it's kind of interesting because like people who get pregnant like and they're not necessarily married or something even though a lot of people in the culture in American culture you know really I don't think it's really a big deal in all honesty like I think kids are a big deal for sure they should be taken well care of and taken care of very well and everything but I don't really think um I mean I've never really seen anything wrong with people having kids like without being married I don't really care but um the thing that I find interesting is that it's still like something that people kind of like get like a shock factor about and they're like oh my gosh like that person's like you know they have a kid and they're not married and it's like I kind of wonder where that comes from too I know it comes deep rooted in religion but I just find it to be a very interesting thing because like if even now people get like criticized for that kind of thing I can't even imagine how it was back then I mean because people were like really kind of like not too open-minded back then so I'm just kind of trying to think about it and like wrap my head around that situation because uh and also apparently um um Joseph was older than Mary quite a bit so and already had kids I guess because um Jesus technically had siblings that were older than him so maybe he was a widower. I don't know about that. But yeah. So we start moving on and I'm just looking at the words that kind of pop out and the like um the footnotes kind of stuff. Um some of it on this page isn't really too important. So I'm now like on pages like four to five. Um, so I think, so yeah, they're saying like that the parents must have hoped that the circumcision would reduce the stigma of his birth. Cause by that time, by eight days in to after him being born, there must've been some form of like talk or misunderstanding about like, whose kid is this? Um, and so then they go into talking a little bit about Jesus' parents. Um, let's see. So it says Miriam, or Mary as we now know her, was some 13 years old, the age Jewish maidens of that time married. And it says, when Jesus' father, the widower Joseph, came to her village of Nazareth, 
in all likelihood to repair the house of her parents or something like that. It says Jesus, uh, sorry, it says Joseph was a journeyman from nearby Bethlehem, um, a roofer, stonemason, and roof, uh, sorry, rough carpenter, I can't read, and rough carpenter. Um, so basically, you know, we were all kind of taught, I'd say that, that um, Joseph was a carpenter, so Jesus was a carpenter. But it looks more like Joseph was a carpenter, so Jesus, and then Jesus became a rabbi. Um, and some people speculate, you know, after Jesus was a kid that he was, like, working with his dad or whatever. Um, and so I see a couple things I want to talk about on page six. Um, so when it starts talking about Joseph, it says, Joseph trade trade as a journeyman, or in Hebrew, the word is tekton, um, which is not a carpenter. So those are two different words. Tekton means journeyman. It doesn't mean carpenter. And then, and I don't know if that's Aramaic, actually. Um, I don't know if that would be Aramaic. Because um, Jesus at that time would have been more likely to speak Aramaic than in Hebrew, but I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know about that, but basically, um, yeah, written word was still, I think they still had Hebrew writing back then too, but maybe, maybe, because I know where he lived, um, yeah, Aramaic was more common, um, <clears throat> and it says, it says, um, so about that word tekton, which is journeyman, um, is attested to the New Testament because Jesus himself became known as a journeyman. And so they talk about Matthew thirteen fifty five and also Mark 6, 3. Um, it says Joseph's marriage had been recognized from uh, the fourth century uh by a theologian and historian named Epiphanes. Uh yeah, Epiphanes. Um it says C. Richard Bockham. Um so it gives you a reference for a book called Um The Brothers and Sisters of Jesus an Epiphian an Epiphanian response to John P. Mayer. M E I E R um catholic biblical quarterly 56 from 1994 um and so yeah when we when we kind of look at that um um what jesus was, was doing or may, maybe even at that time it's more like what joseph was doing because jesus probably wasn't doing much at eight days old um but who knows maybe it was but yeah so we're talking about Joseph's job. We're talking about Mary and her kind of young self. Um, and I see this other last part on page 50. Sorry, not page. On page 6. Um, it says. It says legend. Um, Okay, so it says it makes sense 
that Joseph, you know, met Mary in early spring. And although heavy rains made travel difficult then, um, he could ply his trade before he was needed at home to tend to his fields of wheat and barley. And then it says legend, um, bowing to the imperial Roman feast, Sol Invictus, um, the invincible sun, um, which was widely celebrated during the third century in the common area or, or common area, common era or in AD, um, it says, has Jesus born on December 25th, but reckoned from his parents, likely time of meeting, his birth was earlier, probably in the late autumn. Um, and it says, it says the attraction between Joseph and Mary must have been immediate. They broke with custom and slept together soon after meeting and well before their marriage was publicly recognized. Um, and so there's that. That's what that's what people kind of think, too, sometimes. Um, and then let's see. And it says at, on page seven, Christians later used Matthew to support their claim that Mary was a biological virgin at the time of Jesus' birth. Um, and it says one influential text from Proto-Evangelium of James, um, 19 through 20. Um, it says in that story, um, an assisting midwife Salome reaches into Mary's vagina after Je after Jesus' birth and feels Mary's intact hymen. And so, basically, somehow he got in there without anybody else doing anything with her. So, um, it kind of depends. And then it starts going through on page 8, talking about, um, let's see... Um, it says that Matthew accurately presented some details of Jesus' birth. Um, so it says... Um, uh, <laughs> I have to read this just to make sure. I I have nothing against Jesus or Mary, guys, but the, I don't know. Just the way this is worded doesn't is not gonna come out right. Um, so I'm just gonna read this word for word because I don't want it to sound like I'm saying this myself. It says Mary was either Christianity's immaculate virgin or the Talmud's common whore who had slept with a Roman soldier in the Babylonian Talmud. If you see Sanhedrin sixty seven a, um. So, so there's a story, I guess, apparently in, in, um, the Babylonian Talmud, um, in the Sanhedrin 67a, um, I haven't read that yet, I haven't, I've read some of the Talmud, but not, I don't know if it was the Babylonian Talmud, and I don't, I don't remember reading anything by Sanhedrin, so, um, and it talks a little bit, it says, 
It says, from an obscure study of Talmud published during the 19th century, basically, they found... Um, uh, that's where Bruce Chilton, the guy who wrote this book, um, first learned of a Galilean Bethlehem near Nazareth. Um, so, yeah. And then, let's see. Let's see, let us see. Uh, there's nothing really on page nine just a whole lot of stuff about circumcision um and it talks about how you know that's mentioned more in the mishnah it says um in the section that's shabbat 19.2 of the mishnah so i haven't read the mishnah anytime recently um, it says it was composed during the second century um, of the Common Era. Um, and so that's like, what, like, about this, about 200 years after Jesus. Um, so, and, and the thing I like that this book mentions is that there's, um, kind of the timeline with it. And so if you think about second century, this was even written after Jesus, but this was written. I don't know. I don't think the whole new Testament was written yet. I, I don't know the timeline of the new Testament, but it wasn't like, okay, like Jesus was crucified on the cross and then people just like immediately started writing, you know what I mean? Like the writings of even the gospels, the, you know, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were written over a span of time, and I believe um, all four of them were in different locations when they wrote it as well. Um, I mean, they obviously wrote it, like, within their lifetimes, I guess. So I don't think, I don't think it would be, like, that old. I mean, that, yeah, it wouldn't be that old because they only had so much of a lifespan. Like, I feel like their lifespans weren't, like, so lengthy. So, um, but they were kind of younger according to some theories um those that were chosen as jesus disciples were likely you know some of them at least were still working with their fathers meaning that they still had fathers meaning that their fathers were young enough to still be working meaning that they were probably pretty young um when they were chosen and jesus was like nearly like his 30s or so and so they were because they were fishermen and they were saying like son the son of this other person like not all of them were fishermen but um because they were fishermen um they it's kind of speculated that the disciples were younger probably 14ish or something but these were technically the guys that didn't get into a rabbinical training program like or the temple program or they weren't in like a formal schooling or like a temple or anything like that or any you know their trade was doing their what their father does which is interesting because jesus mentions that um he said that a couple times in the bible i'm about my oh well at least once he said i'm about my father's work but it's kind of interesting that you know like yeah he found them working with their fathers um 
and took them out of that work the work they were doing wasn't necessarily considered to be like super like high status work um but to be i guess technically a talmud like a student under a rabbi that's actually a a prestigious type of a position um in comparison you know it's like it's almost like you're admitted to to college versus not but it's kind of like the opportunities there were kind of like way different um way back then um uh let's see we're still talking about circumcision on page 11 um it talks about a whole lot of cool traditional stuff in here that I'm kind of wishing I would have like read um before starting to record this because it's it's pretty deep in here so the next time I record something I'm gonna definitely have to go through and read it more um I was talking about menstruation all right this is just what I was looking for was this word okay (laughs) found it guys um so the word momser so that's where you you see it in this book um so i'm gonna read a little bit before that um so the paragraph where you see that word momser um after talking about the circumcision and jesus and about mary's age and about um the um the information about blood about menstruation um all those sorts of things um that that would require washing and cleaning and all that kind of stuff um even like in accordance with the religion um i'll get into that i think that comes up later but um basically it says the moment when the flint the flint cut jesus foreskin must have been uh particularly poignant to mary um she probably knew her son would always be considered a momser an Israelite of suspect paternity, right? Suspect paternity, because they, you know, not everybody believed 110% that he was, you know, born, you know, Mary had him through the Holy Spirit and not just through Joseph or some other dude, Roman soldier or whatnot. Um, It's commonly taught that, you know, Mary was a virgin impregnated by god himself um and then it says such men and women lived in a caste apart unable to marry within the established bloodlines of israel and so were often excluded from the mainstream of religious life although mary may have been teased and shunned because of her promiscuity she knew that jesus circumcision assured him a place in israel the bond of blood united all jews even those of the momser caste and then it talks more about that it says at a later time and in the idiom of song and heavenly vision luke's gospel portrays the angel gabriel coming to mary and assuring her that what was conceived in her was to be called God's, they put in quotes, God's son. That's from Luke one thirty-five, And it says, the many twists and turns in Jesus' life 
and sorry in Jesus life and Mary's demonstrate that her assurance was not anything like a complete or categorical like as complete or categorical as Luke suggests the entire psalm attributed to Mary in Luke 1 46 through 55 it says that is not surprising since that gospel is written uh the better part of 90 years after these these events um and for a different culture with a different language but Mary's feeling at the circumcision of her firstborn son was uh for her as dramatic as Gabriel's visitation is in Luke. It was as if God were vindicating Jesus, whatever the circumstances of his birth. Um, yeah, so... And then it goes on on page 13 to say... Um... So it says, and like regarding Mary and the pregnancy, unless she could bring witnesses to show she had been in company of, um, of a licit father, not illicit, but a licit father, it was assumed she had been made pregnant by a momser or another prohibited person so that her child was a momser and that is coming from the Mishnah from Ketubot 1, 8 through 9. And it says uh, Mary's sexual relations with Joseph had not been uh, prohibited, but given that Joseph had lived in Bethlehem and she in Nazareth, when she became pregnant, it was virtually impossible for her to prove that he was the father. Um, in the absence of proof, Jesus was considered a momser. Um, and it says that the Mishnah at a slightly later period calls a... Dude, I wish they would have just written this in Hebrew. Because it's very confusing with these English words. Um, calls a shetuki um, or silenced one. So that's from... Kedushin from the Mishnah uh, 4, 1 through 2, and also see Kedushin 70a um, in the Talmud. And then it says, um, without a voice in public, congregations that regulated the social, political, and religious life of Israel. And that's from Deuteronomy 23 2. Um, and so basically, I didn't really know that, that, you know, that, um, that part of Jewish culture was going on at that time, that it was like, she had to prove herself. But I mean, again, all of these things are coming from these ancient writings that were already, I don't know if these were already there, actually. I don't know. I don't remember. So the Mishnah was after, I don't remember when the Talmud was, I feel like the Talmud is like so old. Um, I don't know which one's older. 
Maybe I should look at this timeline. Maybe it says. Um, let's see. I'll look at it real quick. I'm not going to spend too much time looking at this. But hmm, let's see. So... Uh, I don't know what this means, but, um, so it's saying in the timeline section in the common area, eh, sorry, I was saying area, common era or AD 35, it says the meeting of Paul with Peter and James, the brother of Jesus in Jerusalem and the availability of the earliest sources of the gospels, Peter's instruction for apostles such as Paul and the Mishnah of Jesus' teaching, known to modern scholarship as, in quotes, Q. So just the letter Q. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, I forgot that too, that the, that the term Mishnah is like a type of a teaching from a rabbi. But the Mishnah is also a book, a, like with a capital letter, with a capital M, it's a, it's a, type of a religious text um and you know jews do follow that like the very religious jews do follow that as well as the talmud um or at least they read it i don't know what exactly gets followed but i think people try to follow all of it i mean and a lot a lot of it is like extra rules and extra stuff um that you don't really see in the bible it's like more expanding on stuff in the Bible that doesn't get expanded on. <laughs> um, but it's like way in depth. <laughs> so like it's like volumes. Some of these things are like so many volumes. Um, and it's great. <laughs> I really love it. Like that wasn't even sarcastic. Um, I'm not good at sarcasm. But... Uh, so let's see there's this interesting footnote on page 14 and i'm gonna try and finish this up within the next five to ten probably less than ten minutes um there's a footnote that says the wealthier families involved in a marriage um sorry the wealthier the let me reread that the wealthier the families involved in a marriage, the greater the probability, especially in an urban environment, that the woman would join her husband in his house and bring a dowry of movable riches or money. But in situations in which the wealth, sorry, in situations in which wealth was what you lived in, a man would indeed leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife that's from Genesis two twenty four, um, and this is all like historical biblical stuff that like they don't really explain it to us non Jewish Christian people, and so it's like sometimes it's like okay you see Jesus doing this or like you see this happening in the New Testament you're like what on earth are they doing like but it's kind of interesting because it's like there are things like that where it's like. You know, it says, like, in Genesis 2.24, like, where, you know, a man would leave his father and his mother and cleave cleave to his wife. I mean, like, 
when you see things like that in, you know, the Bible and the Old Testament, like a lot of Jewish people take that seriously and versus Christians that usually read it and we're just like, okay, that's that's what the Jewish people back then were doing. Um, and we don't even see it as anything that we would ever really do or follow just because that sentence or phrase is there. Um, but... I mean, there are people who do follow these, like, exact words, and they still try to live by it, too. Um, it says, during the second century and subsequently, Jews were deprived of lands on a large scale, and that disrupted the custom of exchanging land and heritage and marriage. And then it says military actions and pogroms over time also separated married couples and made the whole question of establishing paternity fraught. Under those conditions, the practice of reckoning Jewish descent through the mother became prevalent in the Babylonian Talmud. And so if you wanted to look that up, that's in Kiddushin 68b. Um, and so that's interesting because I know we're always taught like, oh yeah, Jesus was Jewish through his mother's line. Um, <clears throat> that's a common teaching because they're like, oh yeah, uh, Jesus' mom was Jewish. Um, and so, you know, now, you know, Jewish lineage is considered through the mother. Um, but back then that, that wasn't always a thing up until certain political things had changed their lifestyles where they lived in certain areas of the world. And if you lived in an area where you couldn't follow that commandment, um, then, you know, there was an alternate, uh, alternative method. You know, they weren't saying don't get married or don't leave your house or, you know, you could still do those things, but it was just done differently. And then the, you know, your Jewishness was then after all that, uh, political stuff was going on then you know that's when it started happening uh, where where the mothers started becoming how s someone could shoot trace their jewish um history and so the book kind of talks more about that too that um like on page 15 um it says judea to the south faced the loss of its ethnic identity when the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar ordered the burning of Jerusalem and its temple in 587 BCE or BC. Um, but, and then it says, related to Jesus again, I was looking for more of that. Um, as, a, as a momzer, Jesus was ostracized by the elders of Nazareth. Although Jesus had always openly acknowledged his paternity, um, yeah, although Joseph had always openly acknowledged his paternity and did not shun his son, Jesus did not accompany him to the gathering of elders called uh, the synagogue, um, which met in the central area in the village near the wine press and kiln cool that they had a wine press in the central area of the village i like um it says his fellow villagers kept him from the elders gatherings 
while Jesus, his brother James, that was Joseph's oldest, or it says eldest son from his first marriage, because apparently Joseph had been married before this, um, emerged as an authority in the congregation. So James had a spot in the congregation and people kept Jesus from joining the congregation. Um, so he wasn't, he was a part as in he got circumcised. He was a part of the community being circumcised, but he apparently, according to this book, they're trying, they're trying to make the point that they believe that Jesus wasn't, um, completely accepted because of the whole um, circumstance related to his birth and whose son was he. Um, But you notice, I mean, they didn't kill Mary, right? I don't know. Maybe they just didn't kill people back at that time. But I feel like they did kill people. I mean, I don't really understand, like... um, Yeah, I'd have to go back and read more to to see if she ever got threatened i don't remember that um and it says regarding jesus personality on page 16 all his life jesus was both intense in his personal sorry in his personal vision and gregarious and company um and it's saying that it probably developed early in his life from um personal intensity that comes from loneliness um oh and that he probably would have loved company and it says It says like when like they're just speculating, I guess, about Jesus as as like a youth saying that he must have spent a lot of time alone, wandering through the hills of Galilee, talking to the shepherds and vagrant rabbis who were regarded as shady characters in small communities like Nazareth and without training or conscious articulation. He was developing a sense of Israelite society um, that was radically inclusive and a vision of God that was not limited to the stru- the strictures, strictures of local institutions. I have never seen the word strictures before. And if I, I don't know, I've read this book before, but it was years ago and I don't remember saying strictures. I don't know if that's supposed to mean structures or if it's really strictures. (laughs) I didn't know that was a word. Um, But yeah, I like that last sentence there that it says um, that like through talking to people and just probably living this lifestyle of like people just kind of probably like discriminating against him. he, He learned that, you know, you know, he learned more about the idea of, you know, what it, um, I like those words, radically inclusive. Um, so that's talking about the society. And then when talking about God, it says not limited um, to all this strict stuff um, that comes up in, in the, all the religions. It's called like local institutions because they were way too strict. Um, 
And so I just find that interesting. Um, I don't know if I'm really going to read through the whole thing. It starts talking about the word Abba. It, it, it talks about the Aramaic spellings and all this kind of stuff. And the Talmud with the word Abba. Um, uh, so it's saying like. Like, the word Abba is more, it's not like, it's not like a, it's not like the word father, it's more like the word daddy. That sounds funny, but, yeah, but, yeah, so it says, in Hebrew, the term for my father is Avi, or Av, like A, and then the letter B, that's almost like a V sometimes, depending um, but not Abba. So it says, so confusion with the name Abba only arises in the Aramaic language. Um, and then it says, father was the Jewish way of, of responding, uh, or, or of stating the word, um, uh, God right um and when Jesus was a rabbi he instructed his students to pray regularly to God as abba not as avi or av or ab um that would be father um he instructed people to pray. So, and they're saying, like, look at the um, verses in Matthew 6, 9, and in Luke 11, 2. Um, it says, even Greek-speaking Christians addressed God as Abba because they remember Jesus' original idiom. Uh, see Paul's letter to the Galatians 4, 6. So, in Galatians 4, 6, um, it like, you know, it talks a lot about, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, what is it called? The Lord's Prayer, technically, is called the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, and so, the beginning of it is Our Father, right? That's how we say it in English, like, we don't say Abba. I don't, but I mean, that's what, like, if you were to actually translate, <clears throat> the actual wording it would be that um um so yeah and then let's see i don't know if it starts talking about the anything else it talks a little bit about let me see about the Kaddish the major themes of the Kaddish um God's sanctification and kingdom um so those words um those words basically like the beginning like the end of the the end the chapter ends 
with the beginning of the words in the Lord's Prayer. Sorry, my phone's being held up by a jersey and a pillow. So this is not the most stable situation. Um, The Lord's Prayer. So it ends with talking about the Lord's Prayer here. And I know I'm past the 10 minutes, I said, but um, I'm almost done. Um, So if you read in like older Bibles, it says, Father, your name be sanctified your kingdom will come, right? Um, but hmm, I'm trying to think of like how how to even start talking about this. Like, <laughs> it's like a lot. Like, just that whole sentence is like so much information. Because um, I know in in the traditional version would be um, what like our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, right? Um, and then they have this, um, it says, uh, it's a bunch of like Hebrew words that are written in English letters. It's so hard to read that. It just looks like gibberish. Abba Yitkadash. That's how, that's how a lot of, well, not Abba, but Yitkadash is used a lot in Hebrew prayers at the very beginning. Um... Shema, I don't know what the ch the, the end is, but Shema, I know Shema is like, what, like a name? Um, I don't know what Teteya means, I've never seen that, and then Malchutaka, um, that word as well is a very popular one, so like about the kingdom, Malchutaka, like the kingdom will come, and then like, um, Kadash is like, um, holy, like, Kadash is holy, yeah, Kadash is holy, or sometimes it's written like Kadosh, um, there's a lot of words that sound like that, there's Kadash, there's, it looks like Kadosh, there's the Kaddish, which is a type of a prayer, and then there's the Kiddish, which is like food, um, but yeah, so it starts talking about you know that's what they're what they get into is that um Jesus was like by the end of this chapter they're talking about the Lord's prayer a little bit um it kind of jumps around a lot and it's kind of hard to kind of talk about this linearly but I think the first chapter is more of an intro up until he becomes a rabbi but you notice they also skip the whole part after his birth again this is what we see again um but this first chapter is like just an overview um so i know that you know they they draw some ties later on i don't know if it was later on in this book or in this chapter because i was just kind of looking through it but it was saying about the lord's prayer saying um just this the reason why i said it was such a packed phrase or sentence um is that first of all just the very beginning of it using the word abba when nobody prayed that way and we all know with judaism the word god is is a very important word like a lot of like i guess sects of judaism don't even say the word god or write the word god um a lot of times um like really orthodox jews will say hashem which means the name and so it's like the name um 
And then that just means that, you know, whenever somebody says Hashem, the name, we know who you're talking about. Kind of like, where they, this isn't a good joke, but you know how they say, like, in Harry Potter, like, we don't speak his name or whatever of, um... Was it the Dementors? What, who was it whose name they could... Oh, Lord Voldemort. Lord Voldemort. They're like, we don't speak his name. But like, yeah, he was evil though. <laughs> but they're like, we don't speak his name, right? But it's like, it's kind of like that almost. Like, it's just like, you just don't say the name. You don't write the name. That's why you'll sometimes see like G and then like a dash and then D instead of G-O-D for God. And even when Jews read the Bible... If they're ultra-Orthodox, where it says, you know, like those four letters, the Yahweh, four letters, um, that's where they would say Hashem, where it would be written in the American English Bibles as capital L-O-R-D. So it's like, it's just interesting because it's like a name is a big deal. <laughs> like, and it's kind of interesting where it's like, okay, he's using this other term in Aramaic that people don't even use to refer to God as, um, you know, which is interesting. And then using parts of the Jewish Kaddish, you know, but basically he shortened the whole thing. The Kaddish is, is long. Like if you've never seen or heard the Kaddish, which sounds beautiful. I love, I love like Jewish prayers because they're so like, and even Jewish readings of like, of like the Bible, they're very melodic. Like everything has like a melody to it. Even if it's not like, you know, Westernized, like American sounding melody, it's all a melodic thing. So the prayers have like, like a melody to them in a way, um, as well as when you're reading like if people if you've ever witnessed the bar mitzvah you've probably heard how people read like the different types of scripture there's like different types of marks that go underneath the like when you're learning it anyways there are different types of marks that go underneath the words in the old testament scriptures um different symbols other than the vowels there are different symbols other than the vowels that they put underneath and above the hebrew lettering that kind of tell you like okay it goes up or it has this sequence of notes like sounding like da 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 or whatever like I don't think that's one of them but <laughs> it's called Tamim but um I just find it interesting that Jew that Jesus made another prayer um if you if you want to check out a cool website it's called Hebrew for Christians with a number four so Hebrew for Christians dot com, I think it is. And it has a Hebrew written version of the Lord's Prayer. It also has a combination of like Jew a lot of I don't know every Jew, but I think most Jews read what's called the Parsha, which is like a certain portion of the Hebrew Bible every day day and then for the week and then when you go to synagogue usually there's a reading that's the Torah portion for that week and then they kind of discuss the rest of the Torah portion that was for that week and on that website they have a new testament added to that of like the portion you would read so that basically you end up going through mostly all of it within the year um but it's it's in a way that like I think they chose new testament I don't know if they chose New Testament parts that would actually match with the Old Testament. I don't really remember. 
because um, I clearly have not been on that site in a long time because I don't even know if it still exists. But, um, yeah, Hebrew prayers are just very interesting. I definitely recommend you check out the Kaddish. Um, it sounds beautiful. It's long, though. It's longer than the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not that long. It's just a few sentences. Um, but there are certain prayers that you say, like at a death, um, at certain times, like, there's so many prayers, there's, like, a whole book, um, there are multiple types of prayer books, I think, but there's, like, one main book that people use for, like, what's called davening, it's, like, daily prayers, but then there's other prayers, too, um, there's, like, the prayers for the food, and the prayer for before you read the Old Testament, and the prayer after you read it, or the prayer before you read the part that's not the Torah, and the part you pray after, and then praying with before and after the food, and praying, you know, just because you woke up in the morning, and praying before you do, while you're washing up ritually, you pray so you can go pray, and it's like, dude, you know, even when you're putting on tefillin and all the other, all the other you know, there's like shawls and all kinds of, you know, like garments and things that are worn and they all have a prayer for them um, to put them on just to pray. And then you pray and then it's like, oh, my goodness, like there's a lot. There's a lot of praying. Um, so much praying. Um, so I find it interesting that Ju that Jesus takes a prayer um, the prayer, a prayer that you would likely you know, um, say at a death, um, so, it's kind of, I don't even know what to think, um, and then the stuff that talks about the kingdom, so, it's an interesting topic because it's like, um, like it, it talks about the relationship of Jesus to his father and then like how that would be kind of like a, like an aspect of like what would have been happening, um, you know at that time, um, and that Joseph was likely dead by the time Jesus was starting his ministry, um, and that that was probably tragic, so, yeah, and it says basically that when somebody dies, it says Mary and her sons would have recited the Aramaic Kaddish uh, for mourners, a Kaddish such as is still recited today, praising God and celebrating his uh, coming kingdom in the midst of their grief. It says um, this one, this version that they say is his masterful name will be great and sanctified in the world he created in his pleasure his kingdom will rule um and it says there are many forms of the Kaddish uh for mourning and for celebration 
um, and during, during this period of Judaism, like during Jesus time, there were many forms, um, in which the Kaddish would be used, but they are saying here to end this chapter that they, that Jesus likely started his ministry near a time when Joseph had died and then was reciting a form of the Kaddish, which is a prayer for the dead saying, teaching his followers, this is how you pray. And so that, I don't know, this book is so interesting to me and I'm kind of too tired to even like think straight about like what exactly is going on with this book. Um, I, I like the, the, I like that they go back to the Hebrew and look up Hebrew texts for different stuff and when it happened and, um, what Jesus likely would have been, um, following or why people were doing things the way they were doing it at that time, according to the religion. I really like that because, you know, we usually read the Bible from like this weird, like American Christian perspective that has like zero to do with Judaism. Other, I mean, even the names we use for the people in the Bible are like Greek names. We don't even use you know, the Hebrew pronunciation for like any of it. Um, and then I feel like, you know, things kind of like lose meaning um, because a lot of times Hebrew names and Hebrew words, well, Hebrew names have like a root of like a word like um like for example when you see words like l like daniel like daniel like daniel like the el at the end is like god right l is god and so elohim is another form of saying god but it's like plural and then l is god and so it's like um, or like nathan like natan um, like, I guess it's like something about giving, I don't know, a lot of the names, um, have a lot of meaning to them that we miss, you know, because we don't know the language and because we're not even using those words. So it's like a lot, it's kind of interesting that some of the names of the people in Old Testament Bible stories, you can kind of predict what's going to happen based on the name of the person sometimes, um, or like they, they make it a point to like mention a name where it's like, and he was called this or whatever. And you're just like, oh, wow. Um, and you see that with a lot of like tribal types of groups of people, like that's still something common that people have, um, in tribal groups today. I mean, like ancient, ancient lineages where, you know, your tribal name has been passed down for like however many generations, like you have these ancient names that like in English, it's like you don't if you say it in English, like nobody's going to know. Like, um, like, for example, like this isn't even like a recent thing, but if you've ever seen the movie Dances with Wolves and then the the white lady who was, I guess, technically captured or taken or taken in by the native people of that time the indigenous group that took her in um her she was called stands with a fist right stands with a fist but she had like a name in their language but then it was called like if you've translated it into english it was stands with a fist but we don't even do that because we don't even use like the english exact translation of the hebrew words 
we use like Greek and Latin and all kinds of other languages that none of us even know really. And then we just call people those names. So it's like, we're so far removed from like the actual history of it. It's just, it's really interesting to come across books that have like a historical kind of narrative to go with it. And a lot of it might be, I wouldn't say it's like speculation as in like they didn't research it. Cause I feel like technically with those times, the research is accurate and this could have been how things were unfolding. But at the same time, it's like, I just find it really interesting that, <clears throat> that yeah, you have things like, like different words that people might have called Jesus or like at least we know there was a moms or cast that's not something that I even knew about um before coming across this book is that there was like a group of people in Judaism that was considered like other because like they're like well we don't know if you're legitimately Jewish because we don't know who your dad is right um so that's an interesting thing because now nowadays people say um the mother the mother is the lineage that you trace and then they show like how that is in this book they kind of talked about that and then yeah the circumcision piece and um yeah and then you know it talks about G- uh, mary's kind of background and joseph's kind of background and then um going into showing like later on how 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 i guess um yeah jesus taught his first disciples or the first prayer that jesus taught his disciples which is interesting because you would think they're all the same religion they would have known the same prayers because these are most of the prayers are like memorized prayers like it's not like i mean i'm pretty sure jews pray you know without those but i mean we have like one i think christians have like i don't know if catholics have more but i think catholics do have technically more because there are um different types of like you know you can say that someone will say like say this prayer say the like the act of attrition or something like that where it's like or say you know it's like it's like a type of prayer i would consider it a prayer i don't know if if uh, catholic people consider it a prayer but i would consider it a prayer um but yeah, like I think Protestant Christians, there's only really the one prayer. <laughs> like there's not really like any kind of like act of anything. You just pray that one or you make up another one. Um, I mean, some people use like the Psalms, like the 23rd Psalm is like a popular one too. But there aren't that many other things that I that I think Christians use that are in the Bible as prayers um unless they're just using it but i i just can't i can't think of any religion like denominations of christianity that use a lot of the specific biblical word like for as like praying um but yeah i do find it interesting that you know the words are from the cottage um um How's the story? Yeah, so that's, I guess that's chapter one. I don't know what people think about it. I mean, it's not like, like super groundbreaking and I'm not even doing it. I mean, it is groundbreaking in a way, but I'm not doing it justice either because I'm like 
too tired to really <laughs> amp it up. Um, but it's a cool book. Um, I might keep looking through it. I didn't really read. Again, I was literally, I haven't read this book in like years. And so I was literally just flipping through the pages. So it took me super long to explain it. And then another like 11, 12 minutes after the fact what I should have been done by now. But um, <clears throat> yeah, that's kind of how the first chapter ends. Um, the next, I'll read the the rest of the next chap. I'm not going to read all of it, but the titles. Um, so chapter two is the pilgrimage, pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So that is the part where they're going to talk about um, when, um, let's see, I think it's like when, when, Jesus got lost, or according to the parents, Jesus was lost. Um, so let's see. So yeah. And then they found him at the temple where he said he was about his father's work. Um, chapter three is called the Talmud of John. Talmud meaning like a student, like a rabbinical student um of john so his cousin john john the baptist um and then it says the product for chapter four the prodigal returns right so that's when we actually start seeing jesus in the bible again so it's basically from pages 23 through or i guess technically pages 24 no 23 23 through 63 um we don't really see jesus in the bible and then this um book starts filling in more information um and then chapter five uh the spirit chaser chapter six hasid in the holy city hasid is like a holy person um Kind of how, yeah, like Hasid. Um, Capernaum's prophet, Beyond the Pale, P-A-L-E, Three Huts, The Sword of Rome, The Cave of Thugs, sorry, Um, At the Tomb of the Dead, King of the Jews, and The the Kabbalah of Crucifixion. Um, I've got some other, I'll see what's in that chapter but me and the whole Kabbalah thing I don't know what to make of it I've had some weird experiences reading that book and I don't really want those so I'll see if I'm gonna even get into that because I'm just like dude <laughs> that's not <laughs> um but yeah I think it's interesting um I just think I'm slow and talking too long so I'm just going to cut it here and I might just record an, a second sleepy recording of the next chapter just because um, I might as well. All right. Hope you like this one.